Hey gang, there are fewer things I regret more than not investing in Zoom when I had the chance. How was I supposed to know there was going to be a pandemic and Zoom stocks would explode? Looking back 20 years from now, I don't want to have the same sinking feeling sitting on the sidelines knowing I could have jumped on another bandwagon sooner. Luckily, we know what the next big boom in retail automotive is, and that's why companies like Fortellus have provided the tools to create unique apps that will help your dealership meet the demands of the market. You see, no two dealers operate the same way. The beauty about Fortellus is that you can pick and choose the apps and workflows that help you meet the demands of the market while catering to your operations. Not only has Fortellus created an amazing technology platform that's designed to make life easier for dealers, they are pouring back into the community with events like their Dealer Dev Day. It's a three-day event that empowers attendees to network with each other to create smarter, faster, and better apps for the dealer community. So, my beloved DPB gang, the best thing that you can do right now is visit the Fortellus Marketplace and browse through their growing library of apps and integrations that will allow you to run your business your way. Visit Fortellus.io to learn more. That's Fortellus.io. Welcome to this episode of The Dealer Playbook, a podcast that explores what it takes to create a thriving career right here in the retail auto industry. I'm your host, Michael Cirillo, joined by decorated Army combat veteran, Stephen Kuhn. He's going to share the best way to become an epic leader. Here we go. Now, you probably already know this by now, but just in case you don't, leadership is not something reserved for a specific job role or title. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Each of us is a leader, first for ourselves, and then, of course, those around us, our friends, family, colleagues, co-workers. And perhaps, maybe if your job role does indicate such, you have a dedicated team of people who work within your tender care and stewardship. Whether you're a car sales professional, detailer, shop worker, technician, or maybe the owner of the dealership, it's important as a leader to demonstrate behavior worth following, behavior that helps create more leaders. That's why I'm excited to share this conversation with Stephen Kuhn. He's a decorated Army combat veteran who now helps leaders improve their quality of life through consistent, conscious application of his trademark HIT system. He has a remarkable and unique story from combat to living and studying with monks in Europe. Listen carefully as Stephen shares concepts from his new book, Unleash Your Humble Alpha, which, by the way, I highly recommend you read. I'm, I'm reading it and going through it and actually hosting a book club on Clubhouse with Steve and Lane Ballone, the co-author. Uh, just tremendous read. So as you listen, please, I hope that you are listening carefully and apply the concepts you learned today into the context of your circumstances. So please enjoy my conversation with Stephen Kuhn. Admittedly, you weren't on my radar a month and a half ago. Right. And then through this crazy app, Clubhouse, we pop up in this room, Breakfast with Champions, which you're lucky, by the way, because it's not, it's like, the, it's got to be the yeah. afternoon for you. Yeah, it's more like brunch with it, with champions on my yeah, mind. Man. <laughs> Tell you what, I've been waking up at 3 a.m. doing all sorts <laughs> of crazy stuff. Oh, um, then you pop up on my radar and as it turns out, we start chatting with each other on this back channel on Instagram, direct messages. And, 
you're hitting me up saying, man, that thing you said about family, that's, I believe that. And then you'd say something. I'm like, man, yes. And so it's just kind of lined up that we have you on the podcast. I love, you know, anytime I get to chat with somebody who understands the importance of the hustle and the grind, but also understands the importance of family, focusing on what matters most. Some people call it balance. I think, you know, just priorities is probably uh, the word I would use. Um, but then, then as we go along, there, there's things like I have all sorts of questions r- floating around my mind. You, you were a monk or you studied with monks? Did I hear that right? <laughs> after uh, after a, um, an episode of not wanting to be on this planet anymore, I, I, I was taken away <clears throat> into a monastery by a good friend of mine. Yes. So I lived with monks in Austria in the mountains with Benedictine monks who, by the way, meditate, chant, and pray, of course. But the meditation and the chanting is what really got me. And okay, well now my brain's—I'm unwrapping that for a minute. So because yeah. now I'm just picturing the the opening scene from Batman <laughs> Begins Returns. Which one is it? Where he's basically brought up to the the monks and studies with the monks. I mean, how long were you there? Eight months. Eight months. Did, and, and now, I didn't tell anybody I was there. I didn't. I didn't pay any bills. I didn't have a cell phone or a lap. I literally left society for eight months and didn't even care. And you know what happened when I came back? Everyone was still alive and no one even noticed I was missing. So yeah, it, it was a, it was, it was a real shock to reality to what, what, what life actually means. Okay. Well now I, I'm, I'm, I got a Google now. Benedictine monks, you said? Benedictine. Yeah. Benedictine. So is this, yeah. what's their, what's their creed? Well, they're, they're Christians, just like any other Christians. They just have they have their own saint, you know, uh, Saint Benedict. Um, so you know they follow his his teachings and his writings. They're um, most of these mo- most of these monasteries have a high school in them as well. So one side you have the monks and the create you know the creativity part and the praying, and on the end you have like the chapel and the church, and on the other side you have uh, the school. And so it's, it's a Christian school, Benedictine. You know, Austria is very very um, very very religious. Wow, and yeah. And so were you like during this eight months, were you there as a student? Did you, were you full oh, robes? Was, were you growing on I a was, beard? What, like, no. <laughs> I wanted to. And they're like, no, you can't. Unless you actually officially register to say you want to be a monk, you have to do a two year probation period to see oh. if you can handle it. And so I started talking to all these monks and it turns out there's 80 monks there and over 50% were only became monks after they were 40 years old. Wow. So a lot of these guys were like bankers that burned out you know, or marketing guys that burned out. And now this monastery, to be, to be a monk, you actually have to have a skill. So they don't take every monk. They don't right. take every person who wants to be a monk. So one guy's a marketing guy, one guy's a PR guy, one guy's a banker, the other guy trades Forex for them and trades stocks for them. I never saw it that way. It's actually a business. And wow. then they get vacation money every year to go on vacation for a, a week, a year, and they can go wherever they want. They get like three grand and they can go anywhere in Europe to go on vacation. It's, it's actually a business because they all have to, they have to support the monks. They have to pay for the food. They have to, you know, right. keep the church up and the, 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 the monastery up. They have an art gallery up there with some of the most beautiful paintings in Austria. And, and so Christian, is this like Catholic? Is it denominational? Is it all denominational? It's, it's closer to Catholic, I guess you could say, but it's not Catholic. It's Benedictine. It's like a, I guess it's like an offshoot of Catholic. It's hard to say. And you know. what was your biggest because, I mean, obviously, you probably had a lot of time to reflect. I mean, I'm hearing meditation, <laughs> chanting for eight months. What's going through your mind? Like, so so when you're first brought there, what what's going through your mind? Like, where am I? Or I'm ready no. for this. No, first time is like, all right, this is great. I'm going to get answers. 
right? So I walk up to the monks. Hey, how you doing? I'm Stephen. Nice to meet you. What's your name? Andrash. Okay, Pata Andrash, how you doing? All right, this is what I got. I got this problem, this problem, this problem, this problem. What do you say? And they're like, uh, why don't you take a walk in the forest? You know, take a walk in the woods in the forest. And I'm like, well, you guys have so signs out there with answers or what's going on here? You know, like I was like that. Like I was a business guy. I came out of the corporate world, burned yeah. out, li- literally done. And they're like, eh, you, it'll come to you. Oh, one of these guys. You know, I'm thinking like that. But as time went by, the days got longer, right? So the, the days got longer and longer and longer to the point where I was taking like five or six naps a day and it was only like six o'clock at night. You know, wow. it was amazing. And I was just in myself. I meditated sometimes five or six hours a day. I'd be sitting in the church because they had service. Um, they had the, the, the um, what's it called? Korgabit, which means um, the chanting prayer every morning at 545. So Breakfast of Champions, right? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and you would go in this little chapel that was built in the 900s, in the 900s. And it was so small, maybe you could fit about 30 people in there. And the monks would go up front, only about 20 and they would start chanting on both sides. And the whole room would vibrate. And because they're using their own voices, that's usually at 432 hertz. And 432 hertz is the vibration of nature. So it does something to you. It really does something to you. And it would, it would even out my energies through the day. And man, when you're meditating at those times and feeling that vibration, you're just aligning yourself with all what's good. And then you you receive God and you receive the energy in the universe and the, you get the data downloads from the collective consciousness and you just start becoming wise for no reason. I, wow. I, I'm, I'm not even kidding. It's it's like a download. And so what happened was is I, I left there um, so clear and so knowing of who I was and what I was about and why I was on this planet, like I, I really knew, uh, that I couldn't go back to society just yet. So my buddy took me up into the mountains and I was living there by myself in a little hut, like a, a hut. And I only had water. I didn't even need food at that time. I was just like, just living from water. And I was up there for a couple of days and people started, people heard about it, this crazy American living up in the mountains. <laughs> and they started coming up. And after a couple of days, I had like 20 people a day just sitting around me like I was some kind of guru or whatever. Wow. And I was answering questions, which I had no business answering. But it was like a download. I, I just sat there and it just, cha- I was channeling through me. Whatever they wanted to know, it was coming out. And I was just like, all right, I guess I'm the channel. I was a conduit for information for the, for the I, I always say the universal data highway or yeah. whatever, you know. And the collective consciousness, I really, co- I connected with it. I meditated six or eight hours a day up there. They would come up, they'd bring me food. We'd sit and chat and I'd have all these answers. And it got to be a little crazy that I had no more peace. So I left and went back to Berlin where I was, you know, wow, where I came from. you've you've seen me so those listening what steven's seeing is my eyes ferociously moving around my computer screen as he's speaking looking up all of this like benedictine monks and like i'm fascinated by this for for a variety of reasons but if i had to kind of narrow it down into one thing it's like okay business fine car dealers how to sell more cars Fine. I get it. That's probably the base level question that anybody has in their business. How do I get more sales? How do I grow my customer list? How do I set up my email marketing automation? How do I become a better marketer? How to get more YouTube followers? How to get more clubhouse followers? But you know what I'm picking up on? And I'm so glad I asked you this. There is something so much deeper going on here than any of those question or answers to those questions will give you satisfaction. 
when when you talk about frequency and 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 tapping into nature and the fact that everything's got a rhythm and you know i start thinking about well this the same things that create or or are the the building blocks of the known universe also are the same building blocks that create it, that that i'm made of therefore yeah. the universe is moving in and out of me as i am moving in and out of the universe yeah. who the flip cares about how to sell more cars well, that's in the way, issue, isn't it? There's, there's a lot of people that are stuck in that world, but we can't live on this planet in this in this reality in that world. Yeah, they're 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 the, they're the 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 what do you call them the the you know the looping woo woos I guess you could call it because they stay in that world and they're up in the air and they're dreaming and it's amazing. Right, they have no seat on the ground, so they can't earn money, they can't earn a living, they can't move forward. So they're stuck in that loop. I guess you could say the woo woo loop. I guess yeah. you could say. Which is easy. I could have been stuck there. I could have stayed there forever. Well, I, and, 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 and truthfully, I mean, those that listen to the podcast know, like, I've been there. I get it. I know what it's like to be depressed, want to take your own life, all, all that kind of stuff, not see the bigger picture of what's actually happening here. But, but this is also where we get to explore how to create a thriving career. And of course, a career is just a piece of a bigger picture, which is just a piece of a bigger picture, which is just a piece of an even bigger picture. And the sooner we can realize that, like, I, you know, people talk about, yeah, well, that's fine, Michael, but how do we make more money? Cause like, I need to make more money to keep my family alive, bro. Money moves on a frequency. Yeah. Currency, like the currency energy is currency and currency is energy and currency as in, in the wall currency, electric currency or currency as in money. It's all the same thing. Yeah. Right. It really is. And you know, money, true I mean, if you look at any successful person, the real money, the generational wealth is a byproduct of what they're doing right. It isn't, let's focus on the money and then reverse engineer how much money and then make, no, they're doing what's right. What's their passion? What is their purpose? Their identity is aligned with their purpose. Their purpose is amplifying that identity like Elon Musk. Like everyone says, he's a genius. He has one mission. That's to populate Mars. And so what's he doing? He's making electric cars. Like, oh, he makes electric cars. No, that's just one step toward his vision. He's making cars that he can drive on Mars. That's yeah. why he's doing it now. So he's doing what he can now until he reaches that goal. So he's got that long-term vision, that mission, and he's just like hell-bent on making that happen. But he's not looking at the outcome. He's looking at the intention. And so long as you focus on the intention, you're always driving forward with new ideas, new, you know, a new sort of light bulbs going off in your head. And he comes up with these other ideas, but still moving in that direction. Yeah. So it isn't about the money. It's the money comes with the vision. The money comes with the purpose. Yeah. It's this is insane. This is insane because what you just said is something that I believe so deeply in and it, yeah. and it, it's probably the easiest way to visualize the bigger picture. You said Elon Musk isn't thinking about creating self-driving cars or autonomous vehicles. He's thinking about how to populate Mars. And as he thinks about and pontificates and deliberates over how to populate Mars, that, that is his mission. His brain is inspired. Call it a download from the universe of, hey, well, how am I going to get people to Mars in an autonomous vehicle if they're not comfortable in an autonomous vehicle right now? Well, what is the closest, like what is the, the, the quickest barrier to entry, low cost, low barrier to entry? To, it's to create this awesome vehicle that everyone wants. And guess what? It drives itself. And when they get comfortable doing that, they're going to be even more comfortable getting into a flying vehicle. And once they're comfortable getting into a flying vehicle, they're in a rocket ship and they're going to populate a different planet. Same, yeah. same way I think about this, Stephen. I'd love to get your thoughts on it. Steve Jobs in his, in his black turtleneck walks up on stage and holds up 
a device and the world sees a device that holds 40,000 songs. He saw, I am almost convinced of it. Okay. I've, I've had conversations with Guy Kawasaki who was there and part of the, you know, like what, what, what Apple saw was a data collection device that went into hundreds of millions of people's pockets that then interfaces with your automobile that collects telemetrics data. It's a data capture device. And yeah. then what do they these do? Devices, yeah, these devices are, I mean, in my opinion, the people that you talk to, they're never thought, oh, let's bring an Apple iPhone out. Like that's not the end of the vision. No. That's the beginning of the vision, right? Yeah, because then they get right? all this exactly. data. Yeah. This phone knows how I drive. Why? Because every time I get into my F-150, I plug it into the vehicle so I can get CarPlay. Ooh, what a convenient thing. No, this thing knows where I go, how I go, what my driving habits are. So then what do they do? They announce a car. Like they're moving towards a bigger picture. And and I often think like, okay, in business though, we're moving in 30-day cycles. Month open, month close. How do I sell more cars? How do I get more customers? How do I get more leads? That's the one that I was. Me. I was in that. I was in that grind. I was in that grind. Not with cars, but we. I, I had. We had eighty-seven health clubs in nine countries. Wow! And all you do is sell memberships every day, every month, month yeah. to month to month to month. You know. So it's so easy for it. you to be like, all I do for a living is sell memberships to my clubs. Yeah. How do you break free from that? How do we see the bigger picture? Oh, I. What I did is well, I'm. You know, I was all the way up, so I. Worked my way up. Um, actually, I started up, but I worked my way higher. And uh, I ended up looking at the teams, how, how I can amplify their teams. How, how can we align the, the, the vision and the purpose of the company with each personal vision and purpose of each one of the employees? And how do I create a culture in there where there's high creativity, where I'm not coming up with the ideas, but they are, high cohesion within the teams, and very low conflict? And so I would, you know, I was, I had 87 locations. So I, I literally had all of these places that I could try different things out. And over the years, I honed out a, a very successful way to do what I was doing. And it turned out to be, you know, to this day, they still use my systems. And I left there to 2014, wow. you know, and it's just, it's, and I was self-employed too. At the bottom. I was a self-employed director. So it was like, I wasn't even an employee. And, uh, and so it was all about aligning like every, you know first of all you got to be clear with yourself so that's that's what the book's about unleash your humble alpha it's about being clear with yourself who am i really what's my identity not what do i do or what's my position you know you you hear people say you know who i am i'm the ceo <laughs> okay well that's what you do who are you really most people can't say right so we find out who you are that that crystallizes more or less your purpose you can usually find your purpose much clearer when you realize who you are what you're about right what's your juice in life what turns you on kind of thing and once you have that Everything you do after that amplifies your identity, right? So your identity is that which is coming out in the front, not your title and not what you do. And that's why so many people who exit from their company, who are changing positions or get out of the military, for instance, or are no longer a police officer, they're in a hole because their whole identity was that officer, that uniform, that badge, that gun, that position, that Mm, feeling, that feeling of the greater purpose, the greater mission. And so they lose all that. And that's what this book is about. That's also what our program is about. We have an invite-only program where we invite leaders who just exited or pivoted uh, to come into our program. And um, we work with these guys really hard. We have five, five le- levels. And the first one is activate, right? So, you know, we activate the true identity so you know who you are and how you interact in the world. And then we have unleash. Unleash your purpose in life. Know what you do in the world that makes you feel alive. And here comes the really cool part, and that's empower. Create space and elevate all those within your life enterprise. 
so all can step into their greatness. Because when all those around you step into their greatness, they're elevating you as you are elevating them. You know, all ships rise or at the tide or whatever. I don't know what the saying is. I'm not very good at those sayings, but you know, (laughs) you know. And then we have momentum. Amplify your purpose by igniting the fire within others with partnerships and investing in relational capital. Now, in, in igniting the fire within others is where the team comes in. So we actually talk about how do I implement this into my team? How do I align their visions and their missions with the company's visions and missions so that we have a trajectory like no other? Because let's face it, culture follows action. So you can have nice writings on the wall and credos and everything else, but if the leaders aren't acting according to, the, to, to, those, to those true cultures that they have put in place, the team's not going to act, right? So these are the things that I would bring into place. And, of course, the last step we talk about is quality of life. And if you ever watch any video I've done, I've done – 600 and no 598 episodes of the daily purge you know it's like a three-minute video on facebook and at the end i say and remember it's all about quality of life you know that's that's what it's that's what everybody wants right that's what everybody wants and quality of life is fully enjoying every moment of your life no matter what you're doing and that is the mission of our book. That's what I learned in the monastery coming out and being aware of what I was doing. And as a matter of fact, Michael, let me tell you this. When I left the monastery, I went back to Berlin and I got a call from my old corporation where I had left. I was homeless, by the way, at that time. And I had, you know, because I didn't pay any bills, right? So I didn't have anything. I, did, I did, literally went back. And the world was still there and they didn't put me in jail. And, you know, and I, I got a call from the corporation and said, hey, we got a job for you. I'm like, ah, oh, no, no, I'm never going back to that world. And they said, it's a three-month gig in Budapest. And something said, go, right? Go, go to Budapest. I'm like, okay, three months. So I, I literally asked for triple the money. And they said, okay. I was like, okay, I'm going. <laughs> and I went. First day in Budapest in my whole life. First day in the company that I was taking over to turn around. I, I, I did turn around consulting. I just still do. Walked in. The first person I saw was this beautiful woman. And I said to myself, that's my wife. Like, I knew it. I, I was so aligned with the universe, I walked in and I'm like, holy, that's my, like, I saw my whole future with her. Like, like that. That was 12 years ago. We're married, have two kids, and, and I'm still here. You know, that's what alignment does. That's what letting go of the how, of the what is out there. How am I going to get there? Got to make that money. Got to make it happen. As soon as I let go from that, what others say I'm supposed to do, how I'm supposed to look, how I'm supposed to act, how I'm supposed to walk, what I'm supposed to dress. You know, they had the seven series BMW, right? I had all the nice suits bespoke from London, Seville Row, and all this BS. Had the black Amex, you know. Uh, right. But I was overweight, hated myself, hated my life. My first marriage went on the rocks because of that. And I went to a monastery after a crash and I almost killed myself. Not auto crash. I, had, I crashed and burned in life and then I tried to kill myself and then I, that didn't happen. So I went in the monastery. And... um I came out and said, never again. And I knew that the connection that I had to the world around me was more important than anything I could personally do on my own. And that's when I made it a mission to empower teens to the point where they literally run the company. And I'm just like a pinball machine, the bumpers on a pinball machine. I'm just keeping them in that, in that field of play. And that's it. And that's how I championed that company. It's like the matrix. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, that attitude that I talked about, and we, we, we talked about creating space in the empower phase. And creating space is the most powerful thing anyone can learn. If you take anything away from this podcast, this is what, this is what you should take away. And I'm, and, and I'm dead serious about this. Creating space is when you come up to a meeting, to a podcast, to a note, keynote speech, whatever it is, you drop all expectations. You drop all preconceived notions and all cookie cutter solutions. You show up wholly and fully with one intention. 
and that is to create value, right? By solving problems typically is a way. And what that means is you don't worry about the outcome because you can't control the outcome. You can only control the intention. So if you let go of the outcome, there's no pressure. And what happens is you have a space around each other and any conversation you have and you set it up this way consciously before you go in, I always say, take everything out of your head and put it in a toolbox beside you. If you need it, you can get it out, but don't use it unless you absolutely have to. And you show up and that create that space and every time mastermind, boom, that third entity comes up, you come up with solutions and ideas and that you've never would have come up with on your own. I mean, I've been, I've been invited to places where I'm giving advice to European politicians about American, <laughs> you know, domestic policy. And I'm like, I don't know anything about this, but it doesn't matter. I don't need to, you know why? Cause they know that I know. And because they know that I know, I just let it happen. You just tap into the, to the universal data highway. I know it sounds funny, but when we let go and stop trying to look at the outcome, oh, they want an answer. What do they want to hear? How do they want to hear it? What should I say? You drop all of that. You say, you know what? I have the answer. I know I have the answer. It's out there. Bring it to me. Yeah. I know it sounds, it sounds funny, no, but, but you it, know it, what? Like constantly I, I, we, we've all had experiences like this. If you think deeply enough, we've all had experiences where it seems like we tapped into something bigger than ourselves and all of a sudden just got a download. I, yeah. I remember that the first time that happened for me so clearly um, so I'm trained guitarist. I'm classically a trained guitarist. Oh, classic um, guitar. Yeah. Classic guitar. Cause I, yeah, I, yeah. I managed, uh, for, you know, Andrea Bocelli. Oh, crazy. Andrea Bocelli, his yeah. two classic guitarists, his two, his two classic guitarists are my very good friends. And they're the ones that taught me about four, 432 Hertz. Their guitars are tuned to 432, 432 Hertz. hertz. <laughs> and when they play, you get tears, you get yeah. move, movement in your body. Movement. Incredible. Sorry, go ahead. So yeah, that now that's crazy. Um, yeah. So I was driving home one day. All of my sisters play the piano. Um, um, but I was driving home one day. I think I was 17 years old. And I had two weeks of piano lessons when I was five. You know, ding, 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 that sort of a thing. Right, right, right. I'm driving home and I've got this tune in my head and it's moving me. And it feels real. And I feel like I can play it. I'm not kidding you, man. I walked through the front doors of my house into our recreation room, sat down at the piano and started playing this thing. Yeah. Going like, how the crap am I doing this? My dad, who worked in our, in, in our home office, he's hearing this and it's moving him. So he rushes into the rec room and he, Michael, I thought that was Katie. How long yeah. have you been playing the piano for? Like she's shocked. I'm shocked. I'm like seven minutes, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm playing something. I was, yeah. I, I was not able to do prior was do the two handed playing two hands playing, you know, and all of a sudden I'm you play after. It. Could you play after since then? I've played after since that. And people to this day, like, so I'm, I wouldn't say I'm perfect pitch, but I'm at a point where if you put a song down in front of me, I will figure it out and, five minutes or less. That's crazy. Cause a lot of people that have those sort of situations, they lose it after that moment. When, when, once they go conscious, no, I, once, yeah, once they start thinking since. about it and, and that's, and that's transferred that's to all other instruments, bass drums. Wow. wow. I'm, I'm at a point now. It sounds really kind of facetious or kind of douchebaggery, but like I can pick up <laughs> any instrument now, essentially there hasn't been one where I've haven't been able to pick it up. And within 10 minutes or so kind of figure out the concept of that. Play instrument. something. Yeah. I have my, my, my buddy, Tony in New York's like that. I mean, he literally plays every instrument. He skis, he snowboards, he climbs ice mountains. The guy is like 
does whatever he wants. I mean, you name it, he does it. Like it was everything. the same way. The, the second time I experienced this was in the Philippines. I did mission work for my church, went to the Philippines, had to learn the language. I kid you not, man, something happened in the mission training center where they're trying to teach you the basics of the language where all language rules left my brain. I'm like, I don't even freaking know what an adjective is right yeah. now. How am I going to yeah. do this? To the degree of getting to the Philippines and and feeling like I could do it and a flip yep. switch to my brain where I wasn't just talking about Bible stuff and, hey, can I help you with your chickens? I was going down and talking to the fishermen about the materials he was using to weave his nets and what kind of like I it, something unlocked in my brain. And so when you're saying this, it doesn't sound far fetched to me. I know each of us have the ability to tap into this. Well, it's it's it didn't unlock in your brain. It let your brain go. It, it left mm. your brain. That's the whole point. When, when we keep it logic, we cannot, we're, we're, that's constraints. Same thing happened to me in Paris. I'm sitting there, I was on my own, and I, I, I used to fly around and be by myself. And I loved to go to Paris when it was like just beautiful. You hear the music, and yeah, after smoking a Gaulois cigarette with some red right, wine. Right. And I'm sitting there, and, the, and the, the waiter comes up, and I, you know, I ordered, yada, yada, yada. And he comes back with this, and I ask some questions, and I'm like, "Parlez-vous français? Like, do you speak French?" And he's like, what, "You speak French." And I'm like, "I don't speak French." He goes, "You just ordered everything in France in French." I was like, "What? I did? Like, I didn't even realize it because I was so into it. I had let go and absorbed the entire culture. I loved it so much there that I was speaking French. But when I tried to do it, and that's the key word: try. Either you do or you don't. Right. And trying means you're blocking yourself with your brain. I know it's it's. I'm not a scientist or you know Jamie Wheel type kind of guy, which I was. But you know, it's not. That's not who I am. But I know what happens. And like you said, you went through it as well. And and you know. Just believing that and knowing that it exists allows you to keep doing it over and over and over, and it becomes part of you. And so I've been able to master answering any question. I've been able to add to adding value to any situation and knowing that no matter who I'm sitting in front of, and believe me, I've sat in, I've sat in front of royalty and world leaders, and I always have an answer for it. Not necessarily my answer, but it's an, an answer from somewhere. Yeah. I always, I, I never miss. It's crazy. Wow. But I don't think about it. I just let it roll. Like, here it comes. How do you get? I, I say it like this. I say it like this. We're like goldfish, right? right? We fill the space we're given. You put a goldfish in a fishbowl, he'll stay an inch long. You put him in a lake, he'll get like a foot, right? right? Like a foot long. So we will fill the space given when we let go of trying to fill the space. Wow. <laughs> hey, you know. So so now from your position, becoming a a humble alpha, as as you say it. I mean, I, I can only anticipate that th this alpha concept comes from what you've said several times, like stepping into your greatness. Yeah. How did you go from experiencing this kind of stuff, like just unleashing, unlocking, right? How did you go from that to then being able to pro essentially make it a process for other people to follow? Ugh. Like, how do you step into an organization? Because I know the there are leaders and managers listening. That question. Yeah. You're the first person ever asked me that question. Really? That's amazing. Well, I tell you, it wasn't easy because people would ask me all the time, how do you do that? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I just do it. Yeah, because you know, I, I I literally walked up to Mick Jagger and in five minutes I, I had a job with him. Andrea Bocelli, same thing, <laughs> and Olivia Newton John, same thing. I just did it right, and people are like, how do you do that? I'm like, I don't know. I just walk up there, and I could never really get to it. Then I came up with a little process called Hit: Honesty, Integrity, and Transparency. And my nickname was the Hitman for a while, which I think any guy would sort of dig, right? <laughs> right. And uh, you know, so I was training that in the corporate world. It went over really well, but it was only a piece of the pie. And then I met Lane Balone, my co-author, and he's like, dude, man, you gotta get this stuff out, man. Yeah, we gotta. I'm like, how? So like I wrote my first book in Germany, we just went through an interview process. So I got a bunch of people to interview me and him 
and we were starting to hash this out. So through, it took us a year to write this book because we had to decode our lives. It turns out Lane lives very, very similar to the way I live. And he, but he's only 32 and which is amazing because he's so far like advanced for his age. And we ended up writing it all down. And what happened was now I can exactly articulate how I do what. And that's where all these, all these things kind of like investing in relational capital, life enterprise, creating space, you know, and the, all those different things that we use, those acronyms we use in the book. And now my power is even more because I have that basis of articulation. So our next book we're writing through such conversations as this. So I'm mm. going to listen to this and right. hear what I said differently than before. And we're going to add that to the book because every time you build a foundation, you build upon that, you're unleashing more and you're un, 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 you know, unlocking more knowledge that you're building upon what you already have. So it's going to be Humble Alpha 2.0 or whatever. But it's not a book. Honestly, it's not a book. It's a guide. Every chapter is a story, the lesson from that story, and the exact steps of what to do, not how to do it, of what to do to unleash your own personal Alpha, unleash your own personal humble alpha, whatever it is that you want to want to unleash, whatever you have inside of you. And remember, the humble's on the outside, the alpha's on the inside. Mm. Right? So that's why it's a humble alpha. You're humble on the outside, alpha on the inside, and you have this presence that's amplified through your purpose. And people just magnetize to you. You know how it is. Someone walks into a room, your back's turned, you feel them come in, right? Yeah. That's, that's sort of what I'm talking about. It's an undeniable presence. It's called, we call it owning your presence. I've been, man, I, my mind's exploding. You know, you know, I've walked into rooms before where they've, they've hired me to travel across the pond to yeah. give her, to, to deliver a keynote on marketing. And I walk into the room and I go, there are people in this room that are depressed and wondering why they still exist. And I change yeah. my keynote on the spot. Yeah. And then afterwards, the leaders of this, whoever put the event together, they'd be like, whoa, you hit the nail on the head. And, I, and, and you worry for a minute because you're like, well, they, they hired me to speak about marketing, but I just gave them a mental health, culture, leadership you deserve to be here. We need you. We love you kind of a conversation. And, and yeah. the leaders go, you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly why, you know, yeah. and it's because I sensed when I came yeah. into the room, you know, and so you weren't preconceived again, you walked, like I said, that's why it's so important to create that space. When you walk into any room, whether it's a keynote or just us two here on a podcast or with your wife, even, I mean, like the hardest thing that I've ever done as far as creating space was doing it with my wife. And we had an argument. Right, because I cannot dictate in any way her responses. I don't. I don't want to manipulate or say you did this or blame or something. So having to talk to my wife like I talk to all my clients, right, it was really difficult. But I let go of thinking that it was difficult, and I created space, and we had the most amazing conversation that we've ever had in 13 years. Wow! And the whole time I was blocking my my you know my own way with my own wife, and we're so tight now because of that, and she understands me so much better because of that. You know, it's like this creating space, we, we call it that. I don't know. It could be called something else. You know, I don't know. But that's what we call it, creating space. You just have no expectations, man. You show up wholly and fully and see what create, gets created from the power of the both of you or the group of you or whatever. And a keynote speech is perfect. Me too. I walk up there. I got like bullet points. And I may or may not use them. Yeah. You know, the only keynote I ever did that they said, you have to speak about this. It was horrible. You know, it was like yeah. I was on, I had like flashcards. It was horrible. Yeah. But I added my own sort of twist to it and I saved it at the end. Yeah. 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 I'm the same way. Oh, you need, you need a slide deck. Oh no. Yeah. 
I, I can't do a slide deck, man. I just got to roll. Um, yeah. Is, is creating space. Let, let me ask you this. So you walk into an yeah. organization. I mean, there's leaders listening to this podcast, salespeople, yeah. all, all different departments in, inside of a business. And they're listening to this and they go, well, what's the starting point? Because we always hear it's leadership sets the weather. Right. Um, when you walk into an or organization and they need help yes. with this, is creating space where you start people off? No, it's not. You know, when, when you walk into so creating space, all these things we're talking about is culture. Culture takes it has a long ramp stage, right? And then you get you talk about structural change. Structural change can be literally structural, physical, or it can be like, okay, you're working here instead of there now, and now these are the new SOPs, right? So you, I always start with structural change because that will give a clear indication to everybody, uh-oh, something's happening. So that's sort of like a, a, a knock on their subconscious saying, okay, something's changing. Then they're more open for the culture change than they would be if I just walk in and start saying, let's create space because they're like, what the hell is this guy talking about? Right. Right. So I'll go in, I'll literally go in and where the bosses are sitting and the staff is sitting, I'll switch them up and I'll clear this beforehand. Like, if I'm going to do this for you guys, you got to let me do what I want to do. Anything goes. I'm like, okay, do it. And then I'll have them like flip the desks around so they're facing each other, sitting beside someone they don't know, paint the office, clean the office. So that when they come in, there was like, I, I don't remember where I sit. This is all different. Yeah, exactly. So it's sort of like a disruption, just like you would in a Facebook ad, right? <laughs> right. You know, disrupt, disrupt them, disrupt their every day. Then you go in. And we got to look at this. It all starts with the leader. So the first thing I do is talk to the leaders and we have a, a deep discussion and we, and, and we go through the activate and unleash stages of the humble alpha. This book, by the way, our book, Unleash Your Humble Alpha, is used by coaches, literally the book. Like there's no handouts or not. Literally, they take the book and they read out of the book with their clients, number one. Number two, it's recently been turned into a, a, a leadership certificate program at a college. And now... I can't say who, but a leading MBA in America just picked it up as for their curriculum, further courses, and another two leading universities in, in, in the United States are picking it up. And wow. in the UK, they're picking it up as a part of their curriculum for credit hours in business programming. That's how powerful this book is. And there's, it's all about the person. How do I get to myself, my best version of myself as a leader? We're leaders 24-7, man. We don't have weekends off, you know? And the, 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 the litmus test is this. I always say to the leaders, hey, when you go home, and one of your employees were on the dining room table as a fly in the wall, would they recognize you? Are you the same person? And vice versa, if your wife comes into the office or your husband, are they going to recognize you? And most of them are like, well, no, you know. Not. You were talking about balance at the beginning of the show, right? It's about integration, brother. It's not, mm. you know, like you said, balance doesn't exist. It's about right. integration. You're not too, you can't balance your work and life because you're not two different people. You got to integrate everything, right? So how do, how do you integrate your time for your family? How do you integrate for your time for time for your staff to get them to the point where you are? So you start with yourself, you align yourself, activate, unleash, and empower. Then you go out and do the same thing with your staff, align the mission and the vision of themselves with the mission and the vision and the purpose of the company. And you have a team that will crush the competition without even worrying about how much money are we making, the outcome, you know, how, how are we going to get there? Because we know that through the certainty and the procedures that we have in place that the outcome will be favorable, period. Unreal, That's how man. we do it. Unreal. You know, I, I love this. It resonates so deeply with me. Um, it's, it's the path that I've chosen as a leader. I've had people, and this is their words, not mine, but I've had people come to me. I remember we were on kind of a intercompany retreat. We had the kind of a partner's retreat. And so they brought their employees. I brought my employees. You know, we all got together. We were having brainstorming sessions, all this kind of fun stuff. But in the evenings, obviously, I didn't have to stay in the Airbnb. I live here. So I go back home. I remember that the last day, one of the leaders of the other companies pulled me aside and he said, 
how, how'd you do it? I said, how'd I do what? After you left, my team went out drinking and partying and this and that. Your team, he said, I'm not going to lie. They went to the liquor store. They picked up some beers. It's their own time. That's fine. Right. He said, but when I asked them why they chose to do that, over go and get drunk and do this and all this kind of stuff and act like fools. One of them says, I would lay down on train tracks for Michael. Huh. So he said, how did you do that? And so for everybody listening, you need to get a copy of the humble alpha. If you want to learn the secret to how this all works. I just met Steven a month ago, month and a bit ago. I have not read the book, but everything that he's saying resonates so deeply that I am going to be buying a book, not just for me, but for everybody on my team. I want you to get a copy of this because if you're wondering, I, I get asked this all the time. How, how do you create such loyal people? How, how do you have people so bought in? How do we create that level of buy-in? Well, just speaking to you, man, I know that they need to get a copy of the book. So let me ask you, where do, where do they get this book? They can go to humblealphabook.com and just download a free excerpt or buy it right there from that site on, on Audible, on Kindle, or paperback. Amazing, man. It's all, it's all right there. How can, those, how can those listening get in touch with you? Um, you know, I'm on Facebook, um, Unleash Your Humble Alpha. You Google that, you'll find me somewhere. Um, you know, if there's someone that actually wants to contact me for the Humble Alpha program for leaders that are pivoting, um, just my email address is Stephen with a V, Eugene Kuhn at gmail.com. Pretty simple, actually. My whole name, Stephen Eugene Kuhn at gmail.com. If you Google my name, you'll find the right spelling. Put it that way. Okay. <laughs> we'll also link to all of that in the show notes over at www.thedealerplaybook.com forward slash Stephen dash Kuhn, K-U-H-N. My man, thanks so much for joining me on the Dealer Playbook Podcast. Great pleasure, my friend. Thank you for having me, Mike. I'm Michael Cirillo, and you've been listening to the Dealer Playbook Podcast. If you haven't yet, please click the subscribe button wherever you're listening right now. Leave a rating or review and share it with a colleague. If you're ready to make big changes in your life and career and want to connect with positive, nurturing automotive professionals, join my exclusive DPB Pro community on Facebook. That's where we share information, ideas, and content that isn't shared anywhere else. I can't wait to meet you there. Thanks for listening.